0: Welcome to Find Myself Free, the podcast. I'm Ellie Young, alcohol-free life coach, mom, and athlete. I'm dedicated to helping others change their relationship to alcohol by sharing my journey of transformation. Fascinated by my own capacity for change after decades of gray area drinking, I'm passionate about sharing what I've learned from neuroscience and positive psychology to help you break free from the drinking cycle and unlock your true potential. Hear my personal stories of triumph, and struggle as I navigate raising two boys, finding myself after 40, building a business, and doing it all alcohol-free. From women's health and cycle syncing to fasting and biohacking, this podcast is your roadmap to a healthier, purpose-filled life that starts with changing your relationship to alcohol. It's time to embrace change, find balance, and create the life you were meant for. Welcome to Find Myself Free hey everybody wanted to pop in here really quick to make sure you heard about the love your brain and body workshop that I'm hosting live on February 14th Valentine's Day it's a one-hour live event from 11 to 12 Pacific Standard Time and this is where I talk to you about all of the things that you can level up once you get alcohol out of the way and we start with balancing our hormones and we also work on optimizing your brain chemistry because alcohol has been wrecking those two things, your hormonal balance and your brain chemistry. So we dive into all of the ways you can be creating a life to optimize both of those two things. So I hope you can join me, go to my website and look for the Love Your Brain and Body workshop and I hope to see you there. Right. Hello, hello and welcome back to find myself free. This is January 31st, the last and final day of dry January. I am so happy to have been on this journey with you guys and to hear your stories and to hear just how much you have changed this month, the progress you have made, and even if you only reduced your drinking, that is progress that you should be proud of. The information that you have taken on this month. And we took on a lot. We did a lot of things. We uncovered all of the whys behind your drinking. We tackled those subconscious beliefs, those things that are driving your drinking behavior. And we dismantled them. Like, is it really true that alcohol helps with my stress and anxiety? Is it really true that alcohol helps me feel joy? Um, and so we broke those down so that hopefully now when you go to reach for a glass, You question it a little bit more. Like, what do I really think alcohol is going to provide in this moment? And is that really true? Now, this was a very, this was only 31 days, right? So there is a lot bigger road ahead of you to navigate if you are going to proceed with your alcohol free life. And um, so I wanted to tackle kind of the last and final belief that people have the hardest time overcoming. And it's that. I enjoy drinking alcohol is fun. It makes me feel good. It is a pleasure of life that I don't want to give up and it still serves its place in this world. And, you know, I think it's really funny that dry January is labeled like that. I think it's a terrible branding like dry, um, Why do we call a month without alcohol dry? You know, I guess there's this connotation of it just being like this, like withered up, like joyless, pleasureless existence Is you're just dry. You know, it's like, I don't love this word. To me, that is not at all what living an alcohol-free life feels like. I'm, I am going to be rebranding it as I go into February with my clients. This is your rich and vibrant, luscious February. This is a February where you are going to tap back into all of the pleasure living alcohol-free. And that is where true health and wellness can be elevated When once you have gone enough time. The, third, the first 31 days for a lot of people, dry January, is just kind of this, like, Messy up and down like you're trying it out you're like you're still kind of caught in these old habits and you're still you're taking on this new information and you're opening the door to change but you're still kind of caught in these old habits and these old cycles and so This next month is is really where you kind of push come to shove. You're like am I going to continue with this? And how can I continue to support myself in this direction if that's the way I want to go? now I I had some conversations with my sister this past week because she did not do dry January. I don't think she have ever had any intention of doing dry January, but she did listen to my podcast and she had some feedback. She was like, I still enjoy a glass of wine with my friends. I really like the taste of wine and I have challenged this with her before, but I don't think I've fully gotten through to her and I think it's a helpful conversation for you guys all to hear because I wanted to do a little more explanation of what is going on why we believe we still like alcohol, that we still enjoy it, why we think we still like the taste. So this is goes back to evolutionary times. I'm going to explain dopamine for you guys. So sadly, we, we are at odds with our environment all the time, basically. There's all sorts of things that you know, as we've evolved from the very beginning of time that are, you know, against us and our brains evolved mechanisms and systems to help us survive dopamine, the reward system being one of them. Right. So if we were able to, you know, Track down this little berry bush and we were able to eat the berries and we're like, oh, this is like I can survive Me and my family can survive if we remember where to find this berry bush and what it looks like And it's not like that berry bush. Those are poisonous, but this berry bush It tastes good. And so our brains evolved to give us boosts of dopamine so that we would remember This is good for survival and this is necessary, right? same thing happened with hunting That there's a rush of shooting the animal and the brain learned this is a skill I need there This is why boys love video games that they love to shoot They love to like have weapons and stuff because it was necessary to survive back in the day to hunt to feed your family So the success of shooting and killing an animal to feed your family the brain gave you a big boost of dopamine so this is basic survival instincts, but nowadays we are inundated with so many different things that flood our reward circuits with dopamine. And it is not necessary for survival, but the brain doesn't know the difference, right? So anytime you you take something, it's the rate and the volume of the dopamine is um, how much pleasure you're gonna get. So the more you more dopamine you get and the rate at which it boosts you up is how pleasurable something is. This is why cocaine is one of the like fastest, one of the most rapid and highest boosts that you can have, right? Oh, side note, cold plunging, but they say cocaine two and a half times your dopamine, double two and a half times your baseline dopamine in a, I think it was like eight or nine minutes and then you crash super hard. So for every up, there is an equal and opposite low, but cold plunging, raises your dopamine also two and a half times, but it does it over the course of two to three hours. So it's a, it's a, it's a gradual rise and then, and down, and you do not get the opposite low from that. And people ask me about this. Why, why when we naturally boost our dopamine with things like that, Do you not get the same dynorphin effect that pulls you lower and makes you feel like crap afterwards, the way you would feel like after alcohol, drugs, too much sugar, um, too much processed, you know, carbohydrate food, like chips, pizza, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's because you got that boost of dopamine from pushing on the pain side of your fulcrum. So again, we have this, this like pain and pleasure fulcrum when you are constantly pushing On the pleasure side of your fulcrum, the brain then releases chemicals to counterbalance that, but it overcorrects and gives you an equal and opposite dose of pain in the other direction. But if you do it the other way around with like, let's say exercise or cold plunging, you pushing on that discomfort, you're pushing on the pain lever and your brain rewards you with a boosted dopamine and endorphins of feel good chemistries to actually make you feel better and to correct for that. So that's why cold plunge exercise can give you really good feelings afterwards. And so that is kind of part of The aftermath of cutting alcohol out of your life is designing your life in ways that boost dopamine naturally, and they require more work. No, you cannot drink a drink and get a dopamine boost when you're alcohol free. You have to work for it, and then it delivers an incredible reward, and everything starts to feel better, all the little things, because you're no longer blowing your dopamine circuits out with the artificial highs of alcohol. So um, another interesting thing to, um, that I learned the other day, um, again, about the way our brain is so incredible at creating homeostasis, is uh, I learned about salt. So I am a big fan of element electrolyte salts. Um, and if anybody wants um, to get some, I will I will put a a link in the show notes and it's uh, you basically can use my link and they'll send you a free sample box, um, with a purchase. So you have to, you have to buy something, but they will send you this additional big pack of samples. We can try all the flavors and they're my favorite, but basically salt is a very necessary element to survival. We have evolved to crave salty things when we are low in sodium. And so our body recognizes that our actual blood volume gets low and then it releases hormones to signal craving for salty food and it does this by actually making salt be as rewarding as like something like sugar so we crave it and it actually delivers a bigger dopamine boost when you finally get the salt that your body needs And what it also does is it diminishes the amount of pleasure that you would get from other things. So, in the brain, it is allowing you to prioritize seeking out salty things over sugar, over these other things, right? It's a survival mechanism and it tones down the enjoyment of these other things so that you prioritize getting the salty thing. So, I find that really interesting. That is a survival mechanism for salt, but our brain has tricked us with the alcohol. Our it gives us the alcohol gives you such an artificial high with the dopamine boost that the brain goes, "Whoa, we need this for survival." And so it sends you low with dynorphin creating a craving for more of it. And that is how the cycle of an addictive substance works. You get such a crazy high and the brain thinks Oh my god, we need this stuff. This stuff numbs our pain. It gives us an incredible boost And it's it doesn't associate all of the aftermath with the alcohol That is what the work of this month was designed to do was to say put those two things together Connect those ideas like all of the shit you're feeling in your life is stemming from your drinking Okay, and it takes Connecting those thoughts and you like alcohol is helping with my stress and anxiety. Nope. Here's some science It's actually making your anxiety and stress worse. Oh alcohol helps me feel more joy Actually, no, it's a depressant. It leaves you riddled with dinorphin, which is the opposite of Endorphins. It keeps you low. It keeps you feeling uneasy Uncomfortable and relatively like joyless in your life. It also as you become more tolerant to alcohol It creates tolerance for all things that could bring you pleasure in life. So in that now, the little things don't feel as good and nothing is fun unless you're drinking. Damn, that's a heavy load. I don't want to feel like that anymore. And it takes repetition. It takes learning this information and hearing it in a variety of ways and listening to quit lit books and listening to podcasts and continuing to hit yourself with this because we have we are basically reverse conditioning all that all that we've been fed our entire lives about alcohol. No, it is not the elixir to life. So I want to get back to why, why we think we like the taste of alcohol and why we think we enjoy it so much. So we know already that it's giving us this, this high dopamine boost, right? However, when you're a kid... When you first try alcohol for the first time, you spit it out, right? My sister claims that she liked the taste of wine when she first tried it, which I think is bullshit. I still don't think that's true. I think if you had given her a Capri Sun and a glass of wine and said, which one do you think tastes better? Or even a soda, a Sprite, or even like Kool-Aid, whatever it is you drink as a kid, there's no kid that's going to choose the glass of wine over the Capri Sun right? Because it ta- does not taste good. Humans are the only animal that drink alcohol voluntarily. You cannot, you cannot give alcohol to an animal and like a bowl of it and, and and have them choose to drink that. In fact, in all the studies they've done on rats and alcohol, they have to force feed it to them. They have to inject them with them until they become addicted to it for them to actually go and drink The alcohol laced water. So, humans, the only reason we drink it is because we doctor it up with all this sugar and additives and whatnot so that it tastes tolerable to drink. And we think we like the taste. It is not the taste you like, it is the dopamine boost, the buzz you get, and your brain makes this association with it. And we call that acquiring the taste. Okay. There is an entire industry, the wine industry, around the taste of wine. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the wine industry is beautiful. Going to wineries, you know, this idea of of growing a fruit and um, fermenting it and the art of winemaking, it's a very, very beautiful process. And, you know, but the actual... Purpose of wine tasting back in the day was because the wine could have gone bad It could have turned into like a vinegar like substance So the the smelling and the tasting and the swirling around of the wine was to make sure the wine hadn't gone bad Right, and your body would recognize it. Oh, it's bad I don't want to drink that the same way that if you go to smell the milk in your fridge and you're like, oh, that's terrible Let's toss the milk. I don't want to drink that. Your body and brain recognize this is bad for me, right? So again, the only reason we drink it is because we doctor it up with a bunch of sugar, put it in these fancy bottles, and then we tell ourselves, this is an expensive, fine, fine bottle of wine. And look at this beautiful vineyard. And now we're going to taste it. And we're going to tell you. That it's oaky and we're gonna tell you that it was made from these things and these ingredients and leather and earth and all the things Right, and we just eat it up. We're like, yes, this is a beautiful beautiful bottle of Poison what it actually does to your body. It wrecks you. It doesn't matter how expensive it is It doesn't matter how beautifully it was made. It is still a toxin, right? but We acquire the taste because of the effect on our brain, and then we associate it with all of this class, all of this sophistication, all of this culture in our life that has been marketed to us, all right? There is an actual study. Let me get it so I get it right here. The American Association of Wine Economists did a study of 6,000 wine drinkers. A blind taste test, and they found that they were unable to distinguish expensive wine from the cheap wine. And in fact, the majority claimed to prefer the cheap wine, which is that just blows my mind. And I think it's also very, very funny that this same company did a study a few years a few years later, taste testing pate. Versus dog food, and that people couldn't tell the difference between the two. Wow, that is incredible. So, you have to understand how much this survival mechanism of the brain, this dopamine boost, is creating this idea that you actually love the taste of the wine. I'll even go so far as to say, like, you know, my husband loves to say, I love pairing the food with wine. Like if I'm going to have a nice steak dinner, I really want a beautiful bottle of, of red with it. I want to have a red glass of wine with it. Okay. So again, another incredible thing that the wine industry has done is this idea of pairing your alcohol with food. So unfortunately, alcohol deadens the sensitivity of your taste buds. This is a fact. You taste less when you are drinking alcohol and you actually numb your taste buds. So that is interesting Two, Um. Oh, I lost my train of thought here. What was I going to say about the um, pairing the food? Oh, there is no other thing we do this with. Think about this. Is there a milk pairing to our food ever? Maybe cookies and milk, right? But when you dip a cookie and milk it changed the texture. It changes the flavor of the cookie. So I get it There's a pairing there. Do you pair your soda with anything? Do you pair any juice? Do you pair any types of water all the different fun waters out there with it? No, you don't this is a marketing Tactic and it's completely false because alcohol is numbing your taste buds You are tasting less of your food while you're drinking. That is interesting so I think that these are worth examining, and and I get it. There is so much culture, there is so much um, social pressure around the wine for it to be. It is. It is like permission to be grown up and classy when you're drinking wine. It is definitely this transition from you know the the partying days of college into like, well, I'm an adult now. I drink this bottle and it's not a cheap bottle i spent a lot of money on it and now i go wine tasting you know we have created this whole industry of marrying this experience to this toxin at the end of the day it's a toxin and you think you like the taste of it however this is a taste you spit out as a kid a taste you would not choose to drink until you until you developed a buzz until you witnessed all of the adults around you participating in this culture and this means like oh yeah yeah i need to learn about wine in order to be sophisticated i need to like join a wine club i need to do these wine tasting trips that are built around an old an old method of t- tasting whether the wine had gone bad or not and now we're like oh can you breathe in the smell and think this was an old method to taste if the wine had gone bad, right? Now we've built this, all this pompous kind of sophistication around it, which again, just question these things, just challenge them and pay attention to it. Okay. This kind of awareness, you know, you, it's, it's just waking you up a bit so that you're not continuing to just kind of get duped over and over and over again by this industry you know i have a lot of clients who the wine is embedded in their lives and they have learned everything i have to deliver about you know changing their thoughts and beliefs and all the science and all the things but then you know and they've been doing great they're super successful in their journeys and then they'll say, "Oh, but you know what? Over the holidays, this person who like is a wine guy, he brought out this like really, really beautiful, very nice, very expensive bottle of wine, and it was like, oh, cue the cravings, right? Because they're like, I'm really gonna miss out now because this bottle, this is like the stuff, right? And just a like all of that association." Around the marketing around this bottle of wine, right? We think we're not going to enjoy ourselves We are missing out Because this particular wine is the one where I would have had like I would have enjoyed the most Right because it was expensive because it was a fine bottle of wine But again go back to that study blind taste test people could not tell the difference I told this fact to my husband right before this podcast and he was like No No, like there's an art and there is really good wine. They're made better. They use better ingredients and they do all these things. But I'm like, but can you tell? Or are you just being fed all of that marketing? Even when we're aware of the marketing going on, they say it still subconsciously affects us. And so here's another study that I thought was really, really cool. They took two identical cakes, like sheet cakes from like a grocery store, right? Right. Then they put people in this the two groups and they said, um, or they said, okay, this cake on the right here, this comes from the finest bakery in town. They use the best ingredients. You know, this is the high end cake, right? And then they said, this cake over here, this is just a grocery store cake. And then they had them do a taste test and an evaluation, like all the people ranked the fancy you know cake that they th- thought was more expensive and made from finer ingredients they said had better flavor they had it was fluffier better consistency overall just perfect you know beautiful cake and then they ranked the other cake of course much lower right it was the same cake all they had been told it was all based on what they had been told their perception they had their brains had been primed to expect that this cake was going to be the more delicious better tasting cake just based on price and you know finer ingredients and stuff they do the same thing in the wine industry right it's incredible so just pay attention to that the next time you say god you know like i really really want to enjoy myself out with my girlfriends tonight like you can enjoy yourself don't give all the credit to a beverage that is actually going to make you sick dehydrate you And you're not you're like, oh, but I miss the taste. It's not the taste you miss. You miss the dopamine boost. How else can you boost your dopamine? What else can you do? And don't get me wrong. When you are showing up in these environments where drinking was the thing that you do, your brain is going to crave it. Right. And it's really hard to show up in that exact environment and then just remove the alcohol, just remove the reward, the reward your brain is used to getting in this moment. So you have to find something else you can deliver for yourself. You have to start stacking your dopamine earlier in the day. You have to try and go seek out things during this experience that you can do that'll help build that dopamine up, right? And um, I, you know, I have a little side story that um, a group of my friends just went to Austin, Texas this past weekend on a girls' trip. Um, they had, Briefly invited me, it was right before Christmas. It was kind of like a one off, like, usually I'm on this group text with all these women. And these are like my OG friends, drinking friends. Um, and we all had children together. We all kind of raised our kids together. Um, and I have, I wouldn't say intentionally distanced myself, but we've naturally become more distant as I've, you know, cut my drinking over the last three years. And and they still drink. And that's all fine. We all still love each other. It's great, right? But this trip, it's normally I would have heard a lot about it. And instead, I got a one-off text from just one of the girls being like, oh, by the way, we planned this trip. It's at this date and this time if you want to come. And I was like, okay, cool. Send me the information. They kind of sent it like they sent it to me again as like a little one-off. But like I clearly had been removed from the group text about this trip planning, which is fine because... I probably would have not gone. I had loads of soccer this past weekend, so I know I would have looked at my calendar and been like, "Yeah, I can't make it." Um, but too, you know, I I still had my feelings hurt because I just want to be included. I want to, I want the bone to be thrown my way and for me to make a choice. And you know, the thing is, I probably would have made myself feel guilty and about not going. And um, but I, there's a part of me also that's like, I know I can enjoy myself on these kind of trips. Um, but I feel like deep down, they didn't want me there. So this kind of stuff still comes up for me, you guys, almost three years out. Like I thought that like, gosh, you know, this is a drinking trip for them. They did, they went bar hopping. They wanted to go like out dancing in these things. And I think it's hard for them to maybe be around me doing what I do. And it's not like I'm just a sober person. It's like, I am a coach and I have a podcast and I, am helping other women. So it's always very, very top of mind with me. And I'm sure that creates a lot of subconscious evaluation of themselves constantly. Because no matter what, even if I don't say a word about it, it's like the standards I'm living by are really, really up here now. And it forces them to kind of look at their standards and evaluate themselves, even when they're not meaning to, even when I'm not meaning to be that person for them. So it still happened. Um, and I didn't go on the trip and I didn't hear another word about the trip in this whole like month and a half that led up to them going on it, which I thought was interesting because I was like, oh, if if they had really wanted me to go, they would have been like, hey, are you coming? Like, hey, we haven't heard from you. But I was, I was clearly not on these group texts that were about the planning and the arranging of this trip. So that kind of hurt my feelings. Um, but I heard from one of the girls today we went on a long walk and I heard about kind of what a not great time they had. Um, You know, they were trying to bar up and I wasn't there. So I only heard this from one of the girls, but that they were, you know, constantly seeking that next good experience. It's like, Hey, we're going to go have fun at this place. Eh, This place kind of didn't meet our expectations. Like, what about this place? Let's go to this next place. And let's go to the next place. And they're constantly kind of seeking something outside themselves, something outside their experience to try and make the experience better. Right. And as they continue to drink, this is just me. Honestly, I had very little information about this trip, but this is me like in their brain, like thinking it through going, Oh, so as they continue to drink and they wanted more, happiness and more joy and more connection out of this experience but yet what's going on in their brain biochemically is that they're never going to get that first you know it goes up with that first drink and then you never get as much it's just a slow decline and the dynorphin is now in your system pulling you down making you feel crummy and then i heard from this girl she's like i didn't sleep at all the whole trip right Yeah, that's what alcohol does. So you're taking this girl's trip. You're trying to go to a new place and experiencing new things. But what you did in that place was just drink, hoping to like have this fun, great experience with your girlfriends. But the alcohol did not enhance it for them. The alcohol brought them down. And I don't think they will ever make that connection unless I go and like explain it to them. And I I don't think any of them listen to my podcast. So that is fine that I can talk about this. make some judgments about it. So I'm sorry if you are listening, but this is what I think about, think about that. Um, So anyways, I just thought that was interesting that like, as adults, as, as 40s and women in our 40s, that we still take these girls trips and it's about drinking. It's about escaping our routine in our life. And then you go to these places and you're like, let's drink, let's bring the joy through the drinking. And that isn't going to do it. And so this dry January is kind of like learning that unfortunate truth. It is about hacking your brain so that you stop believing that. It is about opening up your awareness that there is this entire world out there to be enjoyed and you can reconstruct your beliefs in a way that support this way of living that feels good organically, that starts to build a foundation of health that you can like build upon. And it's not gonna wreck your mental health and it's not gonna sabotage any other efforts that you have because you're you're doing things that are good for you, things that actually feel good, that start to stack up. And the brain science, like understanding what alcohol really did to your brain, it's not your fault, right? This is a survival mechanism. This pleasure reward system in our brain was designed to keep us alive and alcohol has duped us. Alcohol is a big trick. You know, I was I was making this correlation to my husband the other day. I was like, what do you think of this analogy about alcohol? I always bounce everything off him. And to be honest, he shoots down almost all of my stuff. He's like, I don't like it because of this. And I'm like, well, guess what? You're not my target audience. I'm gonna talk about it anyway. So, that's our relationship. Anyways, so here it goes. Alcohol, to me, it's like I like I talked about it earlier. Like we are at odds with our environment. There's all sorts of things in our environment that are trying to like mess with us. There's there's you know all the plastics in the things. There's all the toxins. There is you know the sun is trying to burn our skin. Like all sorts of things, right? And our body has all these defense mechanisms. But alcohol is a sneaky, sneaky little. warrior, sneaky enemy, right? Because it makes you think you need it to survive. It, You get a taste of it and you're like, oh, this makes me feel good temporarily. It numbs my pain. It numbs my insecurities. It numbs my stress and my anxiety temporarily, right? But our brain is like, Give me more. This is great. And culturally, the entire world is doing it and celebrating it. And moms, you need it to survive, right? Everybody's doing it. Let's doctor it up and package it in all these beautiful ways and make it sophisticated and make it glamorous. Um, And then it goes after your control center, this sneaky little enemy. It dupes you. It's like a spy, right? It gets in there, it infiltrates you, and then it goes after your control center, which affects every health system in your body. It takes out your control center and it convinces you, you need it. What a monster alcohol is. It's unbelievable that we are allowed to sell this stuff on TV, that there aren't labels on bottles that say it gives you cancer. It wrecks your mental health. It wrecks your gut health. It It wrecks your relationships. It causes rape, car accidents, abuse, you name it. And we celebrate the shit out of it, right? We put it on the Super Bowl ads. Millions and millions and millions of dollars are spent on marketing this stuff to us, selling us this stuff. I mean, can you imagine? I heard heard a statistic the other day that Every eight days, five hundred people are killed in alcohol-related accidents. Accidents. This was in the book um, *This Naked Mind*, by the way. This statistic, and it was that would be like a plane with five hundred people in it crashing every eight days. That's how many people die from alcohol-related deaths. Yet we advertise it on TV constantly. Our kids. Our kids literally can't go a day in their lives without seeing alcohol being celebrated culturally, like in front of them, whether it's in their own homes with the amount and volume that the that people around them drink, or if, whether it's on TV, whether it's on TikTok, YouTube, you name it, right? It is being celebrated. And of course, they're going to want to drink eventually. At some point, they're going to think, I'm an adult. Of course, even though they told me not to drink and I have to wait for 21, but why is everybody else? Why do all the adults drink so much? Of course, I want to do that. Why would I want to avoid something that it seems like the entire world is doing, right? If it's so bad, why are they all doing it? That's that's the culture we are being raised in. However, I have some really exciting news that I heard also the other day. The The statistics around January came out and I think it was that 44% of Americans um, attempted dry January. That's a lot of people. That's almost half the population. Not that they were successful at it, not that they made it all the way through, but they it was on their mind. They attempted it. They wanted to do it. That is really, really encouraging news. And then there were some statistics, and I'm not going to quote them because I don't remember them correctly, but that the younger generation is just drinking less and less, and that alcohol companies. Are now putting their main like product leader is an alcohol free beverage. So that industry is just booming, right? Because they're, I love that they are not trying to convince people that don't want to drink or non drinkers to drink more. Like, let's double down on our marketing to drink more. And they're like, okay, if we can't beat them, join them. Let's create an alcohol free product because the tides are turning. More and more people are. Trying to go alcohol free, which is so cool that hopefully when my kids are adults It'll be completely normalized for someone to be a non-drinker and so they won't get like "Oh, you don't drink why you know, is it because you're pregnant? Are you sick? Are you on antibiotics? Like why don't you drink? Did you have a problem? You know people want to know why you don't drink and that's going to hopefully go away and it's going to become more and more normalized also What I love My January crew is I want you to own this fact with pride the fact that you were able To do this month that you tried it that you went for it That should really be a source of pride because right now you are ahead of the curve They do anticipate that alcohol is going to go the way of cigarettes, right? And there's going to be this like bell curve of people like there were the early adopters like me Hopefully like you and then there's going to be like the masses where they all kind of switch at some point and they say Yep We can no longer turn a blind eye to this data, to the to the way it's making us feel. We are gonna all stop drinking alcohol. And then of course there's always gonna be the people that alcohol's never gonna go away completely, right? There's gonna be still drinkers for a while, but they're gonna be kind of like smokers where, yeah, there's some still some people that smoke, but they're a little bit like kind of like, I don't know, like shunned. I don't know if that's the right word, but just you're kind of like, ew, that's a gross habit. Like I don't, I want nothing to do with that. I will say, I don't think that self-medicating is going away. I, don't, I do think, although there's so much more um, cultural acceptance around mental health and strategies to manage your mental health and things like that, I do think that even though alcohol is diminishing as a self-coping mechanism, it's probably because of the access of weed, marijuana, mushrooms, microdosing, and whatnot. So people are still seeking a way to numb out, seeking a way to dull their pain, to to, you know, quiet their discomfort. So we still have a lot of work to do, at, you know, as far as developing healthy coping mechanisms and healthy strategies to manage the things in our life that are hard, right? So I'm really excited about the progress you guys have made this month. It has just been really, really cool to see. I'm excited about where Alcohol-free living is going in this society. So you should hold that as like a source of pride that you are one of the early adopters And that the more you can get this information in your belt and the more you can really let it be a juicy Carrot this like life that you want to live focus on it and start start believing in like how possible it is and how good it is for you Sometimes I think people fall into this category where there's like my drinking wasn't that bad, right? And so I call that that the stick wasn't big enough. So your your history of drinking it hasn't punished you enough like it did me, right? I talked to my sister about this too because she doesn't have any kids. And I say the main difference between probably your drinking and my drinking was that you didn't have kids. You didn't get into this place where you were self-medicating and self and, and coping with like the hard facts of life like I was, through motherhood, through marriage. Um, you know, her, most of her drinking was still like this social Um, place, you know, where it's like all fun and all good and like hanging out with my girlfriends and going on trips and doing all these things. And I'm like, yeah, so you don't have the big heavy stick of like the darkness, perhaps that of like this, this thing that punished you for a long time. And this like, um, Cognitive dissonance of being like I want to not do this thing But I can't stop doing this thing and why is that and that did that place of living in that shame cycle was was really really painful So for me that kind of stick of going back to a life like that. It's pretty big It's a heavy stick. So i'm like looking at my new life and i'm like, I will never go back there the stick is big enough, right? and the carrot in front of me It just keeps getting juicier and juicier. I've already gotten to experience the benefits of almost three years alcohol-free. By the way, February 20th is my third year anniversary. I'm going to throw myself a party, and I'm going to be offering some cool stuff out to my community on that date. We will celebrate it, and I will have some cool things to offer up to you guys um, as well. But that juicy life in front of you, if you are like, hey, I don't have a big enough carrot. I haven't been punished enough by alcohol where I'm like – it hasn't been so bad. My drinking hasn't been that bad. You know, then I really want you to focus on the carrot in front of you, just how much better life can be alcohol-free. And that is actually something I'm doing in my next, um, program that I'm going to do. It's a, it's a short and sweet one hour live event, February 14th. So it's Valentine's day and I'm calling it the love your brain and body event. And it's basically, we're going to kind of go over the quick and dirty with cutting alcohol, but then we're going to get into my the favorite part for me of getting alcohol free was getting back in touch with my body, learning how to cycle sync. So live according to my cycle, live in harmony with my hormones and what they're doing and optimizing my hormonal balance as well as optimizing my brain chemistry. So I've learned so much. In the last three years, about hormones and how much they are sitting at the top of our our like hierarchy of functions in the body, right? And as well as our brain chemistry, all of these are intricately tied to your alcohol use. So you really can't start working on hormonal balancing and and brain chemistry balancing if alcohol is still in the picture, right? Because alcohol starts. By wrecking those systems up in the brain, it also wrecks your gut. So, literally, you can't make progress if you are still drinking. So, I don't even take clients. A lot of people come to me and they say, Hey, I'd love to work on my hormones with you. And I say, Okay, what is your relationship with alcohol? If they're still drinking, I'm sorry, I can't. We can't work together on your hormones until we get alcohol free first. And then we can do the other work. And that's where incredible growth and elevating comes in your health and wellness. And you have no idea how much better you can feel because you are so used to living the way you are living and letting wine be the highlight of your day, letting alcohol be the highlight of your week, your vacations, you going out with your friends and connecting, all right? When you can shift that mindset and you start rewarding yourself with actual incredible health, I mean, I have to tell you, my alcohol-free life, it wakes me up in the morning and says, go get that sunrise. I am—I could sleep in. There are some days on the weekends when I could sleep in. I don't have to get up, but my internal alarm clock goes off, and I am so excited to go see the beautiful sunrise. I literally get out, out of my house, and I turn the corner, and sometimes there is just the most incredible glow going on that I don't walk. I run. To the end of the street to see it because I am so excited. I am literally like tickled by the sunrise. That's why you guys, if you follow me on Instagram, you get my sunrise photos every single morning. And I want to see it from all over town. I go, I go, I go into the park. I take some really cool shots. I go down to the beach. I want to see the glow coming up over the ocean. I want to see the moon setting. That is the reward for me now. Imagine that you're like, Oh, that's so lame. Like Instead of drinking wine with your friends, you want to get up and see the sunrise. Yes. And guess what? It is 10 times better than any night out I ever had drinking. Sunrises are where it's at. Sunsets, I love too, but I'm usually driving my kids around, so I only get them from the car half the time. But I want to tell you, that is how I reward myself now. And it hits on all five of my senses in the most magical way because I am living now from a place where my brain is no longer numbed with a neurotoxin. I get to experience it in with all five of my senses. And that is an, a reward you should be after. That is a juicy carrot you should be dangling in front of you this alcohol-free life that everything can start to maximize and feel good again. Okay? So I hope you can join me for my Love Your Brain and Body event where I'm going to introduce a lot of these concepts that can come after you are alcohol free it is something you can aspire to you can learn a little bit about it and go be like i want that i'm in my 40s i am 10 times healthier than i was in my 30s my skin looks 10 times better my eyes look 10 times more clear i have a relationship with my body now that is so much healthier that i did than i did when i was in my 30s the way i exercise now is no longer coming from this place of like, I want to be skinny and I'm punishing myself for what I ate and I'm punishing myself for what I drank. And I'm going to deprive myself of this food because I'm trying to course correct from all my bad behavior. It was so unhealthy, right? And it's it was so normalized too. Now I literally approach my diet and my food as I'm nourishing myself, I am feeding my body what it needs. I am giving my brain what it needs. I'm feeding my hormones so that I can achieve optimal balance all month long. And it it has nothing to do with being skinny. It has everything to do with about taking the best care of myself. It has completely changed my relationship with my, with my b- brain and body, my self-esteem, my confidence. Again, and it all started with getting alcohol free. So I hope you can join me for this next event. It has been an absolute honor and pleasure to have been with you for dry January. And um, if you haven't taken me up on my free coaching call, this is the last day to schedule it. Okay. You can schedule it into next week, but this is the last day that I will be taking um, scheduling for that free call that was included during dry January and um i am just so proud of you guys 31 days of growth 31 days of reconnecting to yourself 31 days of challenging of going against the grain of swimming upstream and being brave enough to do this in a world obsessed with alcohol you are a trailblazer you are a pioneer So never underestimate what you've done this month, even if you just reduced your drinking, um, even if you just cut it down by a few days, the wheels are in motion. So keep looking ahead. Keep visualizing just how good it can be. Surround yourself with supportive information. Reach out if you want to set up some one-on-one coaching because that is where next level growth can happen. As always. I am with you. You got this. Hey team, you've just listened to an episode of Find Myself Free. And if some part of this left you wanting more, if your curiosity has been piqued and your intuition is telling you, I'm ready for more, I'm ready to look at my relationship to alcohol and find out just how much it's holding me back then check out my coaching offers at findmyselffree.com. For those ready to kickstart a change privately on their own time, I offer the Brave course, a seven-day program to shift your mindset around alcohol and connect with your future self. This is chock full of all the information that was key to my transformation. If you're looking for additional support, I also offer one-on-one coaching. I worked with a coach for four months at the start of my alcohol-free journey, and it made all the difference being able to talk to someone who knew what I was going through and could help me navigate my new world gave me a foundation of support I could build on. And it's a big reason why I'm a coach today. I want to help others find their freedom and level up their health. If this sounds good to you, then connect with me at findmyselffree.com. Listen to that intuition that was telling you, you are meant for more. I'm with you. You got this.